Hey now, welcome to the City Off Campus podcast with your two favorite hosts, Sammy Summerfeld and Jack McFarland. Before we introduce today's guest, the guy talked about the gift card giveaway we have going on with the sellers, guys. You know what to do. Check the Instagram, like, comment to friends, follow the IG and post on your story. You have a chance to win a $25 gift card. Um, everybody's talking about it. If you go around Iowa City, people are you know, all in They're They're ready for some Estella's. So go check it out and um, follow us at the city off campus on Instagram. And you'll be able to find everything there to know more details. And it's going till April 23rd. So now we're going to introduce today's guest. We've got Morgan Goldstein, who's an Iowa golfer. She's on the women's golf team. How's everything going with you? Going pretty good. Uh, just came back from a tournament in Northern Iowa. So which is exciting. Thank you for having me on. Oh, of course. So talking, going off of this weekend's tournament, so can you talk a little bit about how your team did, how you did, and the results and everything like that? So we won as a team, which was exciting. Um, and I finished second individually, tied with another girl, uh, Clara, on our team. And um, I shot 73, 77, 73. Um, the conditions were kind of difficult weather-wise. It was a pretty easy course overall, pretty flat, but um, the weather was 20 to 30 mile an hour winds, raining, 40 degrees. So kind of had so, to conditions. So placing, you know, in the top two or tying in the, you know, top two, like, how do you do that in those type of conditions? Like, how do you play that well with rain in the cold? Like, how do you grind through that? Like, you know, the masters were on this weekend and they had a rain delay and people were just sitting out chilling and we were stuck watching the 2019 masters. So how do you guys just, you know, play through that? Well, the first round was pretty easy. It was just windy, so not too bad. Second round, it rained the whole time. It wasn't like pouring rain. So I didn't really need an umbrella, just like kind of a rain cover for my bag. Um, but I managed pretty well. I just kept in my uh, routine and stay focused. Um, I've been golfing for over 10 years of my life now. So I kind of been in every situation with the weather. So I've gotten used to that. Okay. How do you hit out of the sand trap in the rain? Um, like, is that kind of tough? Like when it gets like kind of muddy and stuff like that, or is it not that bad? No, it's really not that bad. I mean, okay. So while it's raining, it's not that bad that day currently, but then the next day it kind of, it definitely changes from um, the previous day. So it'll be a little muddier and kind of harder to hit out of. Um, but if there is like water in the bunker, casual water, whatever, we get to move it to a better spot. So. So going off of this weekend, so you have two tournaments left, if I'm right. Yeah. So what are your individual goals and what are your team goals for the rest of the year? Um, team goals, I'm definitely hoping to get another win. Um, and my individual go goal is to, for this next tournament is in Indiana. There's a lot of uh, big 10 teams playing in it. So I'm hoping to finish individually um, top five. And especially in uh, Big Tens, which is in two weeks, I would love to finish top five in that. 
So what was it like getting that team win this weekend for your team? Like, what was the energy like? Like, how are you guys carrying that win over into Indiana and all of that? So um, it was our last, uh, our seniors' last tournament this week. So everybody traveled, 10 of the girls traveled, which was really exciting. And um, we kind of just felt we vibed with each other this week. And um, we knew the last day that we were going to come out and play strong and finish well, which we did. So hopefully carrying that over because our next tournament, we're only taking six girls. So um, carrying that energy over into the next tournament is going to be great. So now kind of going back um, a while now is you're from Las Vegas and you're at Iowa, which I'm sure you get asked about all the time. How did you end up at Iowa? So what brought you to Iowa? What was your recruitment journey? What did that look like? Um, so I played a lot of junior golf. And when I was 12 years old, I was playing in an American Junior Golf Association tournament, AJGA, and the assistant coach at Iowa was following me. Um, he was actually not following me. He was following a different girl um, that was in my group. And that's how he noticed me. And so he followed me from age 12 till before I committed. Like um, he followed me all the time. I had a few wrist injuries. Um, he even followed me um, during my progress with that. So kind of as a thank you, because I was playing in Missouri, as a thank you, I wanted to come visit. Um, not really thinking that I was going to come here at all. Like, I'm from Vegas, so I'm like, what's in Iowa? Like, what is there to do in Iowa? I'm, I really don't know. So coming here, I had low expectations. But I had a seven-hour tour, unofficial visit. I had, uh, this is when they were allowed. I had a seven-hour tour of the whole campus, the facilities, and I had meetings with different people um, that I would be involved with when I came here, or if I came here at that point, I didn't know. But um, I got in the car afterwards with my dad and we both looked at each other and he didn't want to influence my decision in any way because it's my decision. But I looked at him and I was like, this is it. This is the school for me. So I did not commit on the spot. I really wanted to, but I uh, had to wait for my mom because she was back in Vegas. And I wanted to make her feel a part of the uh, journey with me. So. so obviously like Vegas and Iowa, two very stark different states and areas, everything about them. What's one thing that you miss about Las Vegas and Nevada as a whole that you don't have here in Iowa and specifically Iowa City? But what's one thing that Iowa City has that you're appreciative for? Okay, so um, definitely miss the warm weather right now from Vegas. It was... Uh, I think 80 degrees, my parents told me yesterday, which was only 30 degrees here. So that was kind of unfortunate, but that's what I miss about Vegas. Um, I love the whole aspect and the vibe of the um, college here, the college town. Um, I was also looking into UNLV um, and I think that the college vibes are so much better here for me personally. And uh, I love the whole aspect of just like the downtown and the people here, I feel like are much nicer. <laughs> so was an Iowa city winter the first time that you had ever experienced like snow and the really harsh cold that comes with it? Uh, no, I have family that lives in Minnesota. So I kind of knew what it was like. 
because um, I would visit there all the time. So I knew that I got cold and I travel a lot for um, golf tournaments. I mean, I wouldn't come to the snow, right. but I just had expectations of what it was like. Right. So when, when did you like really start taking golf seriously? And when did you really start seeing it as a platform or something that could, you know, help propel you further in your life? Um, so I started at age eight and I started taking it. I started taking it seriously at age nine, like playing in tournaments, but then like extremely seriously at age 12 when I started getting into the higher level tournaments and then knowing that I wanted to get into um, playing college golf as a D1 athlete, hopefully someday. And my dreams come true. Yeah. One thing that I read as well was that you have an older brother, am I correct? Oh, I have a younger younger brother. Okay, and you guys are two competitors that just continue to compete against each other. Am I correct with that? So, so how has that been growing up to have someone that just continually pushes you within your family? You you don't need to necessarily just put it all on yourself because you have someone underneath you coming to prove that they're better than you all the time. Yeah, it was kind of fun. Um, When I was younger, I'd be able to outdrive him. And so the day that he started out driving me, it kind of, the competition got closer. Um, and we had a bunch of uh, friends out at the golf course too. So we'd go out and play with them. But most of the time I would stick with my dad because um, he wanted me to have a more quality practice. Um, because when I was with the other juniors or kids, it would be like different putting contests, like silly games like that, which yes, I did sometimes, but he wanted me to focus on drills more. So I would say my dad kind of helped me in the competitive set more than my brother kind of did. Do you ever like play a casual round of 18 with friends or do you find it hard because of how competitive you are and how much like you love and appreciate golf to where a casual golfer might not be able to play up to like those standards that you kind of play with like I don't really feel like when you go out and golf you you half-ass it like it's you golf because you want to compete and be your best do you do you ever golf with like friends casually or is that just not really something you do no I do um usually my friends are also golfers Mm -hmm. so we do go out and compete um not casually kind of um but my friends that aren't golfers really don't golf, so they'll just sit in the cart with me. But uh, I did go up this Easter to Minnesota, and I played some casual golf with my cousins. So it was kind of fun playing like a little class. Uh, did you ever have a moment where you had to, like, take a step back and say, this is not like a tournament? Like, I needed to not read this green like it's the last hole of it? Or was it just yeah. you just you just let it all go, and you're like, oh, I'm with my family? Yeah, I can just kind of flip the switch. I know, like when it's competition time and when it's just kind of fun, still getting in my reps, but it's just fun to hang out with family. What, uh, did you have any unique challenges that you you faced during the COVID-19 pandemic and trying to find ways for you to get reps in or were you just kind of running around trying to find places to play, whether it was like a tournament or just anywhere that was open? What, What was that like for you? So Vegas kind of shut down for two weeks um, like all the golf courses for, I think it was maybe one week. So I have a net in my backyard. So I was able to hit golf balls into the net for that week. Um, but then I would also travel to, um, different areas that were open. And I did play in one event. I played in the cactus tour in Arizona 
uh, during COVID. Um, but that was, I mean, I just kept going. There was really no uh, difficulties for me, except for that one week is shut down. But then everything kind of reopened. And I mean, it's kind of hard not to be able to social distance on a golf course. So. Right. So that was, that was something a lot of people really, which is like in Illinois, because it took a really long time, especially in Illinois, for golf courses to reopen. And people were just so confused on how one of the most socially distanced sports that people could casually do just was being disallowed by the state. It was just crazy to some people because you, you would think that golf would be like the one thing you could do safely during a pandemic. It was kind of confusing because um, other sports were able to play, like football mm. and I'm like, golf's a non-contact sport. Like, you can walk 30 feet away from the other players. And they made ways to where you don't have to touch the pin. So, it was, I don't know. Now it's safe, I guess. So. Yeah. So, you talk about being competitive and being, you know, an athlete. What drives you and motivates you? Like, how do you keep an, a mental edge when you're competing and staying focused and can you kind of dive into that a little bit? So uh, previously, what made me really competitive was, like I said before, my dad. Um, we would do uh, different games on the golf course, even while I was competing. Um, so like a, sometime, in different tournaments, sometimes like I would say birdie is worth dollars and a par is worth $1. So we would play different games like that as I was competing. Um, sometimes I like to make different uh, rules, kind of. Um, like even in this, uh, I played in Utah and my assistant coach was standing on the green and he's like, all right, it was a 60 yard shot. He's like, if you hit me, you get dessert. And four of the girls were um, trying like I'm not gonna move so I nailed him <laughs> but uh just like little things like that kind of make me going whatever make my uh competition more exciting yeah can you can you talk a little bit about some of the other like mental games you like play a little bit too with yourself like how you split up the course and things like that yeah um I also uh would split up like okay so I'd start into different sections so I'd split up the two nines and then I would split them up in uh, threes. So three, three, and three. And I just focus on those three holes at a time. And sometimes I'd give myself goals like, okay, this set of three holes, I'm making one birdie. Next set, one birdie or whatever I'm feeling. Like if it's, I have two par fives in that set and I know that I can reach for them both in two. I'm like, all right, this is two birdies. And my next set is um, all pars or whatever. But I've kind of gotten away from that a little bit because I've been focusing more on the process of things instead of the outcome, which is um, kind of like, as an example, I'll have a 12 footer on the putting green. And instead of saying, okay, I need to make this for birdie. I'll be like, all right, it's 12 footer uphill, right to left, aiming a ball out, whatever. And then uh, putting a good stroke on it. So I've been focusing more on that than the outcome pressure on myself yeah that's cool and so speaking of the process too that kind of goes into your training as well and one thing that I read about you was how you 
change your a certain aspect of your swing to be like Lexi Thompson's swing. Can you kind of talk about how fast it took you to transition to that, why you did that, and some of the other things you've worked on that, you know, have kind of helped your game and, you know, just all that little training type of stuff? Yeah, so uh, previously I had um, a flip in my swing. So I would lean back um, as I'm going through and flip my hands, which my miss would be a two-way miss which it would be a push right if I didn't flip quick enough, or it would be a hook left if I flipped too fast. So I was, uh, I wanted to emulate a swing. So I chose Lexi Thompson and she, the things that I took from her swing were that I wanted to keep my hips back as I'm impacted with, uh, with the ball and uh, turning my hips through it instead of not, instead of stalling my hips. Um, so I've been focusing on that and that took me about two weeks to do, uh, three hours of practice a day. Um, so I upped my hours. Usually I practice an hour and a half to two hours. So I upped it an hour. And then, um, another kind of little thing that I've been working on while I've been at Iowa is kind of feeling the weight in my left heel as I'm moving through and keeping the squat. So that those are my kind of like two little focus points. Even when I'm on the golf course, I'll just focus on those two little things. So when you're, oh, sorry to cut you off, but I just wanted to talk about the heel thing that you were talking about too, when you're kind of working on that. Can you talk about how, when you're on the range, what you're working on with that? And when you're on the golf course, what you're kind of focusing on? So it's kind of- Break that down a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of different for me than um, most people on the range, I kind of just feel um, the things that I'm working on and not, I, I pick a target and I aim at a target, but I'm not really focused exactly where it's going. I'm just more focused on um, getting that feel down. And then the, when I take it over, I go to the golf course and that's when I really focus on the targets and, and stop focusing more on the um, technical side of everything. So I kind of switch it over. Um, and it's kind of different in golf tournaments. Um, I'll get on the range and I just want to warm up. I don't, I don't need to focus on any technical aspect of my swing at all. Even if I'm hitting it terrible on the range, I've had my best days where I've hit it awful on the range. And then I've had some bad days where I've hit it great on the range. So you just never know. I just want to warm my muscles up and then head out. So in competition days. So what she's saying to all the golfers out there is if you're driving the ball 300, 400 yards on the driving range and you think you're just an amazing golfer and then you go and you're missing your shots, don't don't flex what you're doing on the range. Just don't do it because it means absolutely nothing. Basically, yes. <laughs> yeah. Did you watch any of the uh, recent Masters that just took place or were you too busy doing your own thing? Um. I didn't get to watch a lot of the Masters because I we did have um, the UNI tournament this week. It was unfortunate. But. I was just going to say, we were briefly talking off the air about um, there was a one moment from the final round of the Masters where it was on the 16th hole. Xander Shoffley was down, I think, two or three strokes to Hideki Matsuyama. And he watered uh, his tee shot, and it was obviously like his comeback was – over and in my head I just wondered 
if for a golfer, if there was ever a moment where like, you know, the score and you know that there needs to be a, po- a possible different approach. And you had then followed up with saying that sometimes you guys aren't aware of the score when you're doing like a tournament on the course or whatever. And is it usually like you, you've said a lot that you like to stay in a routine and not try to reinvent something and just do what you've always done. Is that kind of how it is when you're in those, you know, critical situations, two holes of hole to go where you feel like you need to make a move or do you just keep doing what you have been doing all around? Um, it just depends. Um, most of the time I would keep doing what I've been doing all around, just staying in my mojo and keeping going. Um, I do like to ask my coach kind of where I'm standing in um, the scoring. But um, if I have a par five, it just depends. If I have like a par five that I can reach into um, on the last hole, whatever, or can get close to, but usually wood layup, I might switch my um, thinking a little bit and try to go for it so that I'm closer to the green so I can have a better chance of getting one stroke up on the lead. How often do you ask for the score typically on a round? Because I know you said you like to split up the the holes three, three, three with the nines. Do you do like maybe after a three holes or like nine or, or is it just kind of like by feel? Um, well, my coach doesn't really uh, – I asked my assistant coach to score. I never asked mm-hmm. him score because I don't think she's going to focus on that. But I know that my assistant coach has his phone out and is looking at that. So whenever I see him, I'll ask most of the time because I usually see him maybe four times during 18 holes. And it'll only be for one hole or half a hole. So because we previously, we usually have six girls. So they kind of go back and forth. This week we had 10 girls, so I only saw him. I had two holes left. And um, he's like, what are you at? I'm like, I'm one over. He's like, all right, I'm gonna walk with you because you're one over. I'm like, okay, that means that I'm somewhere near the lead. So, and then I asked him and he really didn't know because there was no um, actual live scoring. So it was kind of, um, we were guessing. So I had two holes left and then my heart started racing and I started getting a little nervous, but then I was like, all right, I just need to settle down, focus, do what I've been doing this whole time. Um, I had a birdie opportunity on hole 17, left it, I pulled my putt just a little bit, but I had a tap in for par. And then my last hole, I had a seven footer for birdie and I left it an inch short. And if I made that, I would have tied for the lead. So that was a little unfortunate to hear. What do you say to yourself after a moment like that? Where you, you come up that close, you know, you, you just said it yourself, like you know what you you could have done, what you should have done. But like, what do you say to yourself as a golfer? Because you see so many of those situations on a, any given round, you could have that same seven-foot putt. Like what do you say to yourself after that round to just decompress and, and keep your confidence level where it is? Well, first I was very frustrated at myself um, for leaving that putt short. But then afterwards I was like, well, there's nothing I can do about it now. I can't change the past. So just go ahead in the future and uh, make a move in my next tournaments. Speaking of um, the masters, when Jack brought it up a few questions ago, you got to play at Augusta in the drive chip putt competition as a kid. 
can you kind of talk about how what it was like competing there what it was like to get there um and that whole experience pros you got to meet at augusta just take us through that experience so um the very first year they put it on i think was in 2014 or 2015 and my brother went that year um so I just missed it. I got second place in the regionals to qualify. So I just missed it by a few points. Um, but I went with my brother and it was an amazing experience being behind the ropes too. So seeing my brother compete, I think he finished fourth, but I told my dad that while we were there, I'm like, all right, I'm making it next year. This is ridiculous. Like, let's get this going. So um, there were three qualifiers. I, yeah, three qualifiers at that point, and um, I qualified for each one, and I, yeah, I made it. Um, but then we got there, and the whole there was a hotel just for like the players and everything, and there was a whole setup. There was a game room. It was really cool. I was 12 years old at the time, and my brother went with us this time too. My whole family was there. And it was just super exciting to hang out with other juniors that went there. And um, the day before, we did not go to Augusta. Uh, we went to a different area and practiced some chipping and um, full swing and putting there. But um, the day of the Masters, or the drive chip and putt, um, they drove us up in a van and it was really cool. And then we had a little um, bag of balls to hit and then uh, 20 minutes to chip. And um, so then we went over to the driving range and I was the, la I think I was the last person to hit a drive. And there was a whole stand set up behind me and I was walking up, they called my name and, I, and there was a big jumbo screen. They had my picture on it my name and I looked and there's so many people in the stands and I could not feel my body when I like my whole body went numb like I literally I was like okay well I just gotta try to at least I literally wasn't even sure if I could swing a golf club it was I was terrified um but I managed and I hit uh, a 245 yard drive right down the middle and then my next one was right down the middle and a little further, I think. Maybe 246, I don't know, a yard further. But I won the driving portion. And then we went over to the chipping portion and um, I was also the last person to chip. And previously we were able to, because uh, there was a little backup, so we were able to watch some of the other age groups chip prior. And um, I noticed that there was usually one kid in every group that made the chip. So since I was the last person, I turned to my dad and nobody made the chip at this point. I turned to my dad and I was like, no one's made this chip. Like I'm gonna go make it for our age group. And um, then I walked away from him and he's like, you do your thing Morgan. And so then I made the chip and it was so exciting to look around and you'd see all these guys in green jackets and their arms are all up in the air and everyone went crazy. Um, and then my next chip was a few feet away, I'm pretty sure. So that was exciting. So I won that portion too. And um, then I went over to putting and we had some time to putt on the practice green before we actually went on the actual uh, 18th green. And it was probably about 10 minutes. And then we lined up 
And okay, I will tell you, driving, I was not the last person to go because I was the last person to go in chipping and putting. Driving, I was somewhere in the middle. Um, so then we went to putting and my dad's like, all right, you literally just need to snuggle these, the 30 footer and the 15 footer. doesn't matter if you make it, just snuggle it, get it close to the hole. So 30 footer, I left it a foot away, which was pretty good, two feet away, something like that. And then I step up to my 15 footer and um, the other girls in the age group were hitting it really far past. So my dad's like, you literally just need to tap this before um, I left. And I step up, I did my little aim point routine and I hit it. Oh my gosh, my eyes got so big because I was like, if this misses the hole, I'm losing the whole thing because I had some really tough competition too. Um, Christine Wang, she was like eight and nine. So she had, she had a lot of points already. And if I missed it, I knew she was going to win. It hits the back of the cup. It wasn't like one of those putts that just like rolls in like the last roll. No, it hit the back of the cup and then falls in. It was crazy. It was a crazy experience. Every, there were so many people around the green. Um, and then again, everyone's arms went up and green jackets and my family members were on the side. So it was really exciting to uh, see them there and support me. But then I walked off the green and met uh, Connelly's Rice, which was exciting. Shook her hand. And um, then I got interviewed by the Golf Channel. Um, so right off of the green. So, um, but first I hugged my dad, of course, because it was an exciting experience with that. And um, then I went over and got a trophy by Bubba Watson. He handed me the trophy. Um, I'm trying to think what other pros were there. I know a lot of other pros were there. I know Jordan Spieth handed the trophy uh, to my, or handed the trophy to uh, my brother's age group when he went the year before. Um, but then the next day uh, I got interviewed. Um, so that was kind of cool, but that was like the only thing the next day that was, I mean, it was all so special, but I felt like just a normal human being the next day because I was behind the ropes. And I mean, some people came up to me and said, congratulations, cause they kind of knew like that I won. Um, I also won with a score of 10, 10, 10. So I can say that no one's ever going to beat me at the direct input. They can only tie me. And um, perfect I, score. Yeah, perfect score. And I also made a history because I was the first person to do that ever. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah. So that was my whole experience. That's crazy. I, that, the, so no one can, technically no one can like beat that record. It's only a tie. You yeah. Can't, wow. Every year my dad will wake up. It's a whole thing now because he'll wake up at five in the morning and he'll turn it on and he'll make sure that no one's tying me. Cause it's like <laughs> a thing that he has. He actually did it this past year cause I was here but he woke up and he was taking pictures and stuff like that. Usually they have my, um, they'll do some highlights from previous years. I don't know, it was a long time ago, so I don't know if I'm up on that anymore, but um, I think two years ago, they had like my picture up and was like, this girl did, made history, 10, 10, 10, whatever. But yeah, it was really exciting. 
would you care if someone tied it? Like, do you selfishly kind of just want that for yourself? I wouldn't care because they can't beat me. So, right. So, I mean, if they get the same experience that I got, I would actually be really happy for them. But yeah. Now, if they could win by one, she might care a little bit more. Yeah. Well, yes. Care a little bit more, but. Um, one thing that you kind of talked about was like how you knew you were going to hit like one of the shots and that's happened for you a couple of times when like what is it like for you like going up to the green or doing a chip or you know something where like just going into it you're like i know i'm gonna hit that like what's the confidence like like what's your mind like do you just go blank like we've had athletes on like where they go up to the free throw line they know they're gonna make the shot or you know, other athletes like gymnasts and stuff where they know they're just going to perform at the level that they expect that exact event. Like, what is it like for you when you know you're going to hit the shot? I don't know. It's kind of just like um, a feeling in my gut, kind of, um, to know that I'm actually going to make this putt. Uh, there was one time that I played in a golf tournament and my dad was spectating. And I had, it was a par three and I didn't hit my iron that well. And the greens were really big. So it was probably about 60 feet away from the hole, something like that. And um, I was walking down the car path and I turned to my dad and I was like, all right, I'm making this putt, get out your camera and film. So even before I even got to the green and read the putt and um, I set up to it and I, I made the putt and he filmed it. So that was really exciting to have as an experience afterwards. I have to find that video actually, now that I'm thinking about it, but it's kind of just like a, a gut feeling. I can't really describe it. What's your favorite course you've ever played? Like what's like the one where it's just like, that's my favorite either because of a win, because of the scenery, just like what is the one course where you're like, that's the coolest I've ever gone to. Uh, Torrey Pines, definitely, I would have to say, is one of the prettiest. I've also played Bandon Dunes. That was really pretty. Both of them near the ocean, like kind of on cliffs. So just, I like that whole ocean scenery. Try to look out and see if I can spot a shark or something. I don't know. <laughs> I kind of take my mind off of golf a little bit, the scenery. So that's good as I'm playing competition for sure so speaking of like just you know golfing and everything like what has been your favorite moment in a Hawkeye uniform so far uh my favorite mo moment in a Hawkeye uniform has been um when I played in Tennessee uh two weeks ago Chattanooga Tennessee I finished uh top I finished I finished third individually um we finished second as a team and i shot my lowest round as a hawkeye so far which is a 69 um so all of those combined was exciting and it was an exciting weekend for everyone um and the competition was very uh tough so finishing uh i think it was tied for third was really good for me cool um i want to ask you about we I, this is jack knows this is one of my favorite questions to ask people we have on which is what is like your pre-game like routine like 
Is there a meal, any superstitions? Like what are some of the things that you do pre or post match or anything like that? Like, are you superstitious? Can you kind of give us some of that? Yeah, I don't really have any pre like meals or anything like that. I am a little bit superstitious. Um, I have, I used to be superstitious on the number of ball that I would play, uh, which was a title is two, only twos. Uh, but I can switch that now. I can do any number one through eight. What, what helped you switch from just doing twos to go one through eight? <laughs> uh, because we were not provided just strictly twos anymore. <laughs> Manage that. It was fine though. Um, I do mark my golf balls with either one red dot or three red dots, depending on how I'm playing. Um, so I start out with one red dot and if I'm not playing the best, I'll put two other dots on there because that will switch how I'm playing, I guess. Um, another superstition of mine is if I birdied that hole, what order did I tee off in? So if I teed off first, I really try to tee off first the next time when I go up. I don't know, it's kind of weird, but I focus on that a little bit. Those are my two superstitious things that I have. If you, I, I like this question just for any golfer because golf courses can vary in so many different dimensions. If you could create your own golf golf course, what would be like the base design of like the environment? Would you have a lot of water or would you have more sand hazards? Like what, like what would your course look like? Um, that's an interesting question. I... I love desert courses, so I would probably have it because I was born and raised in the desert, so probably desert course, a uh, lot of bunkers. Um, also, there's um, kind of like desert areas that aren't like considered bunkers, but they kind of are like bunkers, so I'd have those out there. A um, few trees here and there, definitely. Uh, to spice things up a little bit, but not much water, maybe like four different holes that have water, make it more traditional desert course. Where in the desert will this course be? I like Arizona, Mesa area. I love Mesa, Arizona. So probably up there. I'm so geographically challenged. The furthest west that I've been in the United States is, it's like, I think the furthest west that I've gone is South Dakota. And that was when I was like 10. And I saw Mount Rushmore. I haven't gone to like California, Arizona. I don't even know what a desert feels like. I don't even know what it looks like. I don't know any of that. Hey, Jack, you know what's in Mesa or Mesa, whatever? What? Cubs spring training. Sick. Yeah. Like, like people are going to want to go to that. I'd rather Everybody go, does. I'd rather go to a desert golf course and play really bad golf than go to a cub spring. Training. Well, you, could, and that's you, know what, you know, what's great about going there is you can do both. You can play really bad golf in the morning, then go to a game that night here. So since I'm talking about my golf game, I am, what's uh what's the term for someone worse than an amateur, a beginner. <laughs> would, would that uh... be good? Okay, yeah. Okay, um, cool. You can say maybe a hacker, but yeah, beginner. <laughs> All right, good enough. Yeah, I like I like that for Jack, a hacker. I like that. <laughs> I like that term. 
what would like what would be the first words of advice you'd give a hacker like me don't take it too seriously unless you all right but i already what if like i already know i already know i don't take it seriously (laughs) (laughs) um i would just say keep your head down and try to hit the ball I don't I don't know how good or bad you are. No, I'm really not that good. Here's so like back home, I live, um, we live, it's this is the thing. I know this. Our the hole that we live on back home is a dog leg left. Mm-hmm. And the people will always just slice their ball and go into like my side yard. And rather than uh like keeping the balls and just whatever, I just I'll grab a club and I'll hit it right back over just into the course I don't like I don't care I'm just getting some free practice but it'll take me a couple swings to get you know some good loft and general like straight direction on the shot so I'm I'm more of someone that needs ample warm-up to like get going I can't I'm not a cold swing and go straight kind of guy I need I need some good some good practice but even then like you said I'm a hacker like I I'm worse than an amateur I'm I'm bad my putting is terrible. I don't like how I, I, I can't, I can't keep everything like Matsuyama yesterday and this weekend, like he was an absolute robot putting absolutely just perfect balance and everything. I am all sorts of out of whack. I don't know how people keep their balance and just, I, I, I don't know. The ball travels so fast off my club. I can't do it. Like, yeah, here, here. Yeah. How, how do I like slow my club down on a putt? Like I just can't gauge that distance and speed. Um, when I was younger, I was at like a little school for golf, whatever. And they said, which one's, they asked me the question, which one's better, um, speed control or line? Which one do you guys think is better? Speed control, line and putting. Probably line. It's speed control. Shit. See, that's why I'm, I'm bad. (laughs) Because if you have the right line, but you end up 10 feet long or 10 feet short. But if you have um, somewhat of a like bad line, whatever, you're only like four feet to the right, but you're right next to the hole. So the line's better. So I would, I would definitely say uh, any course that you go on, I would go on the practice putting green up for 10 minutes before you go out Yeah. Yeah, Jack, I think maybe you should stick to mini golf. I think you're more of a mini golf type of guy. I'm not even that, like, see, I'm really good at mini golf because you don't need control. <laughs> it's actually, it benefits the people who are out of control. So, yeah, maybe I will. <laughs> now, something you told me um, is, how, like, can you explain to people why they shouldn't write their name on a golf ball? Yeah, I would, I used to have my name on my golf ball. So it would be like my title is two because I always seemed to have the two when I was younger and then it'd be Morgan and blue. Um, But I would, I belonged out at TPC Summerlin. I was a member out there for a few years. And um, whenever I would lose my ball, my, everyone knew me out there. So my name on my ball and it was kind of embarrassing because we had like a, by the carts, we had a bucket and people would go in and there would be like the lost balls in there. So I'd go in there almost, well, not every day, but like once a week and make sure my name wasn't in the bucket because everyone knows it's me. And I've had people come up to me sometimes and like, oh, I found your ball. Like, here you go. 
So I kind of just stopped writing my name or not writing my name on it, but I kind of use different balls now because I was like, no more, like just a red dot will do. No more name. (laughs) That's funny. One thing I want to ask you about is being a student at Iowa and also being an athlete. I'm sure that's a lot to manage. So how do you kind of balance that? And how did it take time for you to kind of figure out balancing the athletics, the academics and all of that? Yeah, so freshman year coming in, it was kind of difficult for me because we started right off the bat. Um, weeks into um, school. Um, we pra- well, we started practice right away, but then we started competition two or three weeks into school. So it was kind of hard for me to manage everything. Um, and golf and travel so I kind of had to get organized in that way I feel like I started getting organized um, close my third tournament I kind of knew what was going on and everything Um, but I started getting my game going as soon as COVID hit Um, so that was kind of unfortunate for me our last tournament before COVID hit was Utah and I finished seventh in that event we finished um, second as a team overall so that was exciting and then we, we had mojo going into our next tournament which was supposed to be in Puerto Vallarta and the whole team was supposed to go because it not was bad. our home team. not bad yep. we were unable to go because COVID hit so that was really upsetting for everybody but um I really lost track of what I was saying. Wow, I completely blanked. You were so dead set on Puerto Vallarta or whatever. And I, think I would be too. Shit, that sounded awesome. Yeah. Um, I really, what was the question? Why I completely blanked. Uh, the question was, how do you balance academics and athletics? Oh. As a right. Um, so then after COVID hit um, and then we came back, I kind of knew how to manage everything and traveling on the road and getting my homework done. If we're traveling on a Friday, getting that homework done on a Thursday and then going to the tournament. But our professors are usually really, they can, they accommodate us pretty well while we travel. So that's really nice. So when you're actually, that reminds me. So I was told by somebody who I'm not going to give a shout out to on the podcast, but I was told to ask you a specific question, which was they wanted you to tell the passport story. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wonder who asked you this. Um, so we, I, okay. So we'll start in the beginning. We had qualifying um, three days in a row. So 18, 18, 18. And I qualified to go to Cabo. And that was really exciting because only I, it was only six girls that qualified to go. And I was a freshman and I hate flying. So I took a Benadryl before I went on so that I could kind of sleep. And um, I've never flown out of the country before. So I thought that I needed my passport to go from Iowa to Dallas. I don't know why. And I took my passport out, 
guess I didn't need it, sat on the flight, put it, my passport in the back seat pocket, um, and then fell asleep. And then I woke up. I mean, I kind of had anxiety on the plane, whatever. So I was a little flustered. And then usually I like to escape the plane immediately because I just get really bad anxiety. So I quickly got up and left and we went, we were in Dallas, which is a pretty big airport. And we had to go to a different, uh, not a different terminal, but like, um, like different gate. Um, and so we had to take the tram to that gate. So it was pretty far away. And we had about 15 minutes before our next flight to Cabo, from Dallas to Cabo. And I was looking for my passport. And I started getting really flustered, more flustered than I do when I'm on a plane, because I can't find it. And I didn't want to alarm anybody, because sometimes I do pull some blonde moments and they're just, it's sitting right there. So I literally pull everything out of my backpack can't seem to find it. Then I tell a close friend, like I whisper it because I don't want coaches to get mad at me. And um, we had to, me and this close friend had to, me and uh, Manuela, she's also on the team, we had to run back. And unfortunately the plane already took off and left for Mexico. The previous plane left for Mexico. So I lost my passport and was unable to go to Cabo. So I had to sit in the Dallas airport for seven hours to wait for another flight to go home by myself, which <laughs> I hate flying too. So that gave me anxiety, but seven hours in an airport when I'm supposed to be in Cabo. And then I see everybody land in Cabo and there's the ocean and pretty view. Oh my, I was, it was a rough week. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that that's brutal. Yeah, that's real brutal. Um, to lighten it up a little bit, um, when you aren't golfing, what do you enjoy doing in your free time? Like when you need some time off the course and, you know, being at Iowa, like what's some of your favorite restaurants and things to do, things like that? Yeah, I, um, I like to go to Java House and study with some of the girls on the team. Uh, the girls on the team are my best friends. So um, I hang out with them all the time. Um, so I'll go study with them at Java House. I love to go to Bread Garden. I um, indulge in the burger. I get that. That's pretty good. Um, and I'll study there sometimes. Um, but there's really, I don't do much except for golf, study, hang out with friends, um, work out in the morning at 7 a.m. at Carver, you know. So, so for you, like, do you have any like outside hobbies or interests or anything like that? Or is it kind of eat, sleep, golf? It's eat, sleep, golf. I like to, well, yeah, just hang out with, eat, sleep, golf, hang out with friends, relax. So yeah, that's basically it. I like to cook. I do like to cook. I like What's your to go-to, go-to dish? Go. I like, it's weird. I like to, okay, so I cut up figs and then I put a walnut in the middle of it and then I wrap it in prosciutto and then I broil it on each side for five minutes and then I make a lemon cream sauce on the side with it. It's really good. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's weird. It just sounds really <laughs> sophisticated and super good. Like, <laughs> um, But that's like my go-to like really good that I like to make but I also really like to bake so 
So I'll get like the box brownie mix and <laughs> bake that. Then <laughs> uh, then the box cookie mix, whatever, and do that. That's my baking. That's smooth. Jack, I don't think we'll ever get a better answer than that for a cooking thing. Yeah. No, no. I seriously just thought about everything she just listed and how she cooked it. And it sounded fairly simple, but I think to like how I cook things and what I cook and there is absolutely zero chance that I could do that. None. Yeah, Jack, I think if you did that, you might end up on Barstool, Iowa. Yeah, I probably would. This house would be everywhere. And when I mean everywhere, it'd be you could see the smoke for miles away. Um, my roommate, she's also on the team. She, fresh, not freshman year, but last semester, the only thing she would eat for dinner would be chicken. Grilled chicken, chicken nugget, chicken, chicken everything. Super picky eater. So you're like over here chefing up and she's just like, yeah, I'm going to heat up some chicken nuggets tonight. Yeah, she's like, I'm just going to put some chicken. She'll put like uh, vegetables in the microwave, whatever, and some barbecue sauce on the side, and that's her dinner. Well, I have a friend who's even weirder, and so he literally has only had pizza once in his life, and he's he hates it, so he doesn't eat pizza. Like, super picky guy. All he makes every night, like, he cooks the same meal every single night. He makes grilled chicken, rice, and broccoli i think that's all it is he, he makes chicken rice broccoli every night super plain it has to be plain nothing on it and then for breakfast and stuff he makes pancakes and that's all he eats he's pancakes and chicken rice and broccoli that's wow. all and panera he'll get panera 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 wendy's and mcdonald's are the only things he eats outside too <laughs> like like we went to, oh this is a good story too we went to chop house which is like one of my favorite places and we went to chop house one night for dinner and he didn't know what to eat because it wasn't like one of his usuals. So he had to get the kids meal and they let him order off the God, kids no meal. Fuck yeah. Up. Oh. yeah, I have a I have a friend like that who's got an absolute palate of a baby. Like he'll we'll we'll go to like a steakhouse and he'll get like chicken tenders and fries. And he's like, Can I have a can I have a cup of ketchup, please? It's ridiculous. Some people just never grow up and they eat like a child their whole life. Like me, sometimes I'm the same way. I, I can't really cook for myself. The, the extent of my cooking, I mean, I can do a whole lot of nothing, pretty simple stuff. Like I can make some pretty mean pasta sauce with some meat, but like, yeah, that's, that's pretty it. Like I can't really do much. I also see like the thing is I don't trust myself and I'm also not very knowledgeable on cooking. So like a lot of people just have like cooking times and like what goes good with this and what goes good with that. And, Oh, this, this wine goes well with this. I, I, I have no idea any of it. I, I am so like lost in that cuisine world. And I think that like at Ben Udell, sorry, I just had to give a shout out. My, yeah, my buddy Ben is like that. Oh, this wine is perfect with this. Fruit. Yeah. Oh, I can't mix this. He's like into keto and all that bullshit too. I got my keto with this and with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't, I, I, maybe when I'm 30, 35, like I can start getting into it, but I think it's way beyond me. I don't know. I, I don't know. And I'll go to like some restaurant and it'll be like, this wine will go great with this chicken ricotta or whatever. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what this means. I just want some good food. I feel, like, I feel like it's kind of different. I eat so much better and much better food when I'm home than I do here. Yeah. Because here it's like I'm on the go 24 seven. So I'll make myself some, I 
shop at Trader Joe's and I'll make myself some fried rice. I'll put it in the bowl and cook it for 2.30 and then head out. But sometimes when I do have time, I'll, I'll do kind of that um, interesting meal that I said earlier. Oh, my, my, uh, one of my roommates just, he's been complaining about spending so much money and just eating like absolute crap that he, he caved in. He goes, I'm just going to meal prep. And he made like 20, it was so many, like 20, like five plus meals of chicken, pork chops, chicken. He made chicken fried rice from scratch. All like all of these things. And it took him literally took him two days to do like cook all of the food and, and prepare it. And my uh another roommate just came came back from home and he opens our fridge and he just looks, he goes, What the hell? There's like 25 containers of just whatever in there and this kid he there's no way like he eats like a mouse there's no way he'll eat all of it but it's like one of the only ways he can get himself to eat is by just like making all this food and he loves to cook it's just he never first off he'll never go to the store with a list which i mean you're kind of screwed from that point on you you're just lost and the stores are set up to where you'll pick things you don't even need so he'll come home and say i completely forgot everything so like my roommate he's he's meal prepped really hard and i honestly think i i caught him today not eating what he's cooked so he's already he's already fallen off the beaten path and it's like four days in so jack you have a roommate that cooks like that and then you have roommates that build a hot tub on the second floor of your house and, and then i and then i have roommates that leave the oven on all night yeah i dude it's it's an absolute madhouse here and I'm telling you. well that's impressive i cook like a floridian chicken and fish that's all i basically make but um my final question for you and jack you can follow up if you have one is and we ask everybody this we ask former iowa athletes this current iowa athletes this sports writers everyone well not sports writers but like other people in different ways but what does being a hawk what does being a hawkeye mean to you uh being a hawkeye means me uh being a strong and fierce competitor uh not giving up and chasing towards the goals that you have set for yourself well, I don't have any, I don't have any follow-ups to this. I, all I can really say is thank you for coming on, taking the time. This has been really awesome to get your perspective on golf and catch up with how this season's gone. Uh, reiterate, reiterate what Sam started with. We have the Estella's gift card away or giveaway going on right now. Go ahead and check our socials for all the details and how you can be eligible to be chosen as well we've been talking about this for a very very long time and if you haven't you have definitely been missing out on good pods a lot of people complain about not having the ability to find a podcast like ours and they just get lost in all of the various podcasts they don't know what to pick who's listening to what well good pods allows you to actually figure out who's listening to what what it's about and you can get referred podcasts refer us some podcasts you can check sam and i out and see what we're listening to uh so go ahead and download good pods already if you haven't and like always not the same time same place we will see you guys later